Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are not quite two weeks into the church's season called Lent, a period of 40 days that is meant uh, at its best to point our focus toward uh, Christ and the path of Christ that leads to cross and resurrection, and hopefully to a renewed sense of how we uh, recommit in our own discipleship, how Christ is at work shaping us into new creations even now. And uh, last time, we sort of introduced how we're going to take a look at different ways that people might observe this season as sort of a broad overview, um, and and with, with a focus on how we might see in simple and even small action something that's deeply significant, not just silly, because it can be easy to trivialize Lent and make it just sort of a cultural, eh, I got to <laughs> give up something for Lent, ha ha, but maybe the, to recover a sense of how something beautiful, even if it's small or simple, can be part of it. So where should we start the conversation today, Sarah? So today we're going to start with fasting, specifically okay. fasting from food. Um when I was growing up, this is what I thought all Lenten practices were, because I grew up um, Protestant broadly, like um, Lutheran specifically during my middle school and high school years. And but I was friends with a bunch of Catholics, and they would always give up things like soda or coffee or not coffee. None of my friends drink coffee, soda um, or you know chocolate, you know stuff like that. Very like oh, this is something that I enjoy eating, but I'm going to give it up for these 40 days. And um, look how awesome I am. I gave up this thing, you Mm. know, because we were high schoolers and that's what we tended to do. (laughs) But I think that this is a really ancient Lenten practice of giving up some sort of food. Um, And how... And so that's where we, I think we should start today is yeah. fasting. And we could also say not only is there a long standing tradition within 20 centuries of Christendom, uh, but certainly even further back in the storytelling uh, of ancient Israel, fasting is sort of seen as just like this assumed, yeah, sometimes that's what you do as a spiritual practice without there even being like an official story or commandment or something about, and here's how and when you have to fast. It was just sort of assumed Mm -hmm. like it was there in the ether that that's what people did. Um, And Jesus has a fair amount of teaching uh, in places like on the Sermon on the Mount about how he's assuming his followers will practice periodic fast. So Mm -hmm. it's, here's how you should do it if you're going to. And uh, at least in, in traditions that are keyed into the lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent, every year, we hear the story of Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, and that sort of like gives us sort of that structure for, oh, here's why we have 40 days, that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, there it is. And it's not quite so tidy, but yeah, so there's a lot of reasons that this might be a practice for people. Yeah, and there are lots of different ways to practice fasting, and I would say that like you don't have to conform to one specific type of fasting. Right. Like my spouse really, really likes intermitting fasting, which is where after supper, he's like, okay, I'm done eating for like the next 16 to 18 hours. Um, you know, he can still drink water. Um, coffee for some reason still is okay because it's a drink that is mostly water based. 
Um, so tea would also be fine, but like nothing with sugar, nothing with cream or milk, dairy. Um, and it, so he'll stop eating for 16 to 18 hours and then he'll have his first meal, like, which is usually a small meal at like nine or 10 in the morning. And then he has this window where he can eat pretty much as normally as he wants. Mm -hmm. And then until after supper, and then he's like, nope, I'm done eating now. Mm -hmm. Um, that personally does not work for me. I cannot go without (laughs) food. Um, for that long like I need to eat breakfast um Mm -hmm. at like shortly after I wake up otherwise I get really grouchy Mm -hmm. and I don't want to inflict that on (laughs) people so Uh I know that fasting completely does not work for me I'm okay with giving up certain types of food but I'm not okay with giving up all of my food so you have helpfully named, like right from the get-go, that even though sometimes people's assumption about fasting is either a whole hog or zero hog, I guess, like entire, complete, nothing at all for either certain days or certain amount of time or selective, I, there'll be no chocolate at all for the if a whole season. That there's another way to do this. It's more about time management and putting limits or boundaries around food consumption and limiting to, okay, it'll be between these hours. And not not just as a sense of, um, look, I'm complicating my life, but that does have a way, I'm sure, of stopping you when you would be in to go grab a snack and go, wow, I don't realize how often I go and grab a snack almost without thinking mm-hmm. and how much we consume almost like it's a pastime, like it's a hobby in this culture rather than, nope, I eat that helps fuel my body and uh, I don't need to do that endlessly. So even changing the timing of how we eat has a way of calling attention to it. Are there other uh, like kinds of food fast that would be worth uh, setting the table with, no pun intended, or talking about here as as things that people might consider, things that you're aware of, Erica? Um, There's a couple different fasts, some biblical, some are just traditional to the church. I'm thinking the Daniel fast, uh, which is biblical. It's mostly a grain and fruit and vegetable fast. It's what Daniel and and, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all went through when they first were brought into Babylon mm-hmm. um, to prove that God was with them and they wouldn't eat any of the meat served to them from Nebuchadnezzar's table. Yeah. Um, so some people do that or just, you know, the, my Catholic background a little bit, um, you know, it's fasting from meat on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the Orthodox tend to, during their great Lent, fast from meat, all meat, mm-hmm. all Lent long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there there are those kind of things, um, sure. depending sure. what your tradition is and what you're comfortable with and what your body can handle. Yeah. Maybe it's worth also, like, acknowledging, as we kind of said, there, there's no single place in the Bible where it says, here's the one way, way to fast, because there ain't. But there, it doesn't mean that we've made these things up out of whole cloth. There are yeah. There have been rationales or reasons connected with, say, avoiding meat on Fridays. Uh, and there have been reasons for things like the the lessened of meat. And again, it's interesting that it's meat-centered in, in the story of Daniel and the three young men. Um, what what is it worth talking a little bit about what are some of the, the rootings of that? For for the Daniel fast, um, I think part of it, and it's been a while since I've studied that passage or, or really been in the book of Daniel, so um, I might be a little bit off on this, but I, I think part of it was, um, I think it might have had to deal with the, the meat was sacrificed to 
the gods of Babylon, possibly. But it was just, you know, they were trying to beef up all these guys who had just come into Nebuchadnezzar's sure. court that had been taken from various yeah. lands. And and uh, Daniel refused, for whatever reason, yeah. to eat of that food because it because I think it had something to do with other gods. Well, at the very least, I think it's fair to say it's caught up with the imagery of empire, which even if it doesn't name itself yeah. a god, sort of claims the role of, of a god. And so, like, it's an act of resistance. You know, it's like, uh, mm-hmm. we we won't take your, you know, like, that you won't let ourselves be bought off by the king. And so there's that sort of yeah. our devotion to God is we're not going to take the good free stuff that the empire is giving us as an act of we're not going to get sucked into that. We won't we won't play that role um, and we won't be your poster boys for look how great the empire is. Mm-hmm. So um I I've I've read this passage from Daniel, but I what comes to mind always is this children's story, Bible story of it from uh my childhood, which I think was actually from the 70s. Um, and it was very much, oh, this empire has gathered up all of these young men from the um places that they have conquered, and they're going to like beef them up, feed them really well, and then make them compete in the name of the empire and um the the jewish boys were very much like no we're not going to eat these meat and drink this wine that's been sacrificed Mm and um we're just going to eat the fruits and vegetables and you know they lo and behold they're stronger and faster and like healthier than all of the other boys and young men and the um the takeaway from this children's Bible was definitely look how bad alcohol is. Oh, really? And how much oh, healthier fruits and vegetables and good exercise is. Don't you want to be like Daniel and his yes, friends yeah. and yeah. eat your vegetables and exercise? Um, that was at least the takeaway I took as a young child yeah. from this particular story. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so appreciative of like your, your naming that it's real easy for any of these stories to get co-opted to whatever other agenda respectable religion has dressed up for the day. So to use it mm-hmm. as a teetotaling anti-alcohol story, uh, or, um, I've, I've, I've even seen people sort of market it as like, this is the Bible's approved diet for you. Is this, you know, certain amounts of, uh, protein and certain like, no, this is one story where this happens. There's never the promise made that you too will lose weight. If you, I mean, like, it's, it's not mm-hmm. what it's about. That's not why they're doing it. If anything, the story is they gain weight and muscle mass by doing this. Um, but it's treated like it's an exception, not like the everybody should know if you eat these things, you'll gain more muscle. But it's it seems like it's held on to in the story of in the book of Daniel as an act of resistance against empire, against like, you know, that this is about faithfulness to God sometimes means resistance to a culture of consumption. Um, and... Uh, that is that would have been an important thing for the exile community to hold mm-hmm. on to, that we're not always going to do what the wider culture of Babylon or whatever later empires it was want us to do. Um, but yeah, that, that it's, it's got that really different, unique flavor in its original setting. And, you know, when we talk about biblical diets and, and right. fasts, and th- why do we never talk about John the Baptist? Yeah, locusts <laughs> and, locust and honey, right? And honey. I mean... <laughs> We always go to Daniel because, yeah, fruits and vegetables, like vegetarian, basically, diet, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which also could have been because of kosher uh, laws, too, which sure. I just thought of. But, like, we never talk about John the Baptist and his locust and honey. Right, uh, right, right. 
So I've always pictured him drinking the honey and it's just now occurring to me and having this conversation of imagining what it would actually be like to live off of his diet of like, mm-hmm. did he dip the locusts in the honey, do you think, and ate it? And like, mm. he eat the honeycomb? Like, more, you know. more good questions. We're going to have to have a whole series <laughs> later on about how to eat bugs in the biblical way. So uh, um, an interesting, like, uh, so the Roman Catholic Church obviously has had some sort of fasting during Lent mm-hmm. throughout its very long history. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a history major, I always found it so fascinating mm-hmm. of the times that, um, like, nobility would write for special dispensation to the Pope to request that um, their wives, or even sometimes the wife herself would write, mm-hmm. um, requesting to be exempt from fasting for that mm-hmm. year because she was either trying to conceive an, an heir or was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of this like acknowledgement of, hey, for my labors to be fruitful, I need to have access to protein Mm -hmm. and the way that I can most easily get this protein is by having meat in my diet. So therefore, please give me an exception that I do not have to um, exempt myself from protein right right now. Um, But that was definitely a privilege for nobility Mm -hmm. because, you know, not just anybody could write to the Pope and say, Mm -hmm. hey, Mm -hmm. can I be exempt? Right. Um, so if you were a fisherman's wife or the baker's wife or a farmer's wife, you would not be able to get this exemption and right. you would just have to suffer through Lent, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> right, right. Because that's what everybody had to do. It's and I think, thankfully, things have changed since then. Yes. It's interesting. I have heard different stories about the origins of not eating meat on Fridays and that sometimes connected with Jesus died on a Friday and this was like the other things don't have to die on Fridays. Other times I've heard uh, stories about like at one point the local fish industry was suffering and the, the it was the Vatican wanting to like prop up the, okay, well, mm-hmm. we're all going to eat fish on Friday. But like no, no matter what the origin is, there was some sense of like, we can shape our spirituality and our community by how and what we eat. Um, which like by itself feels like the kind of, of notion that is, uh, foreign to a lot of us, you know, like we, we, we tend to live in a culture that like where all the messaging is, you know, you pick what you want, you have it the way you want it. And, like, that's like the, the, the number one notion of every fast food place, you know, you customize it, you pick what you want. Nobody can tell you what to eat. You want to supersize it every time you supersize it every time, you know, you want a double cheeseburger or a large fry or whatever. And instead to say, wait, maybe using that freedom of choice just for my own gratification isn't all that helpful. Maybe there are ways I can make choices that affect other people or turn my attention to a story that shapes me more powerfully. So to be focused on Jesus' death on the cross and okay, if Jesus is the one, the last sacrifice, then maybe no animals need to die from, you know, to fill my belly once a week as for a way for me to remember what Jesus has done. But like, that's a whole different way of thinking about food instead of treating it as you can't tell me what to do. And it, it only affects me. And therefore I can do whatever I want. Like the, the whole notion of we're going to do something together collectively to change our, our, our community that's just a different way of thinking about food and i and i think that we 
do that to a certain extent. I don't think that we often think about it as a community. Mm-hmm. But for those who live in communal housing, whether mm-hmm. it's as a family or as a bunch of friends sharing a house or an apartment together, you do often have to think about what the other people in the apartment can and cannot eat. Right. Right. Is there somebody in the household that can't be in the same space as tree nuts? Right. That is going to affect how everybody else in the house eats. Right. Um, if um, <laughs> the the thing that I was that always kind of gets me during Lent is my husband often gives up meat for the entire season of Lent. So that's not just like, oh, it's just from Fridays. I can't eat meat. No, it's no meat mm-hmm. for the entire for the entire 40 days. And that often poses a challenge to me as the primary meal planner and grocery shopper of, all right, well, I refuse to make multiple meals, especially (laughs) because we have two young children who often don't like real people's food yet. Mm -hmm. So already I'm kind of juggling multiple meals. I'm not going to make even more meals by having, this is what Russ eats. This is what Sarah eats. This is what the kids eat. So then I have to like think through of like, okay, we're not having meat. How do I get protein into everybody and have them eat it and like, like it um, and have it be not, you know, whatever we would be typically having with ground hamburger or whatever. Um, So like we do think about it as a very small community of like households, but it is on a wider scale of like, how can we think of this as everybody in the community? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sparks to me a connection I'd not really thought of until just recently. Um, even though I've, I've heard this passage lots and lots of times and hear it at the beginning of Lent every year on Ash Wednesday, there's this passage that, uh, the Revised Common Lectionary offers as a recommendation for the Old Testament reading from the book of Isaiah, where it's one of those moments where the people are trying to impress God by having mm-hmm. a fast and God like stops and goes like, I did not need you to fast. Like that's not, I, that doesn't impress me. And if you're going to go to the trouble of doing something that I care about, God goes, here's the fast that I want. And then God goes and lists things through the prophet. Things like when you see the hungry to feed them and to welcome the homeless poor into your house and clothe the naked, that kind of thing. And I never thought about before that connection, like that really clever, almost funny rhetorical device the prophet uses of like, if you're going to fast, fine, take your food and give it to the hungry neighbor. Like that, that notion of like, instead of I'm not going to eat, God, look at me okay, I'm going to stop eating for the sake of I will take some of what I could have eaten and give it to my neighbors so that they can eat who wouldn't have had anything. And that notion of fasting as a a practice of love for the neighbor is a whole, like, again, like I didn't grow up with hearing that kind of rationale for periodic fasting or or any kind of, you know, choices about Mm -hmm. my food. If anything, I grew up kind of like you described, Sarah, with that uh, generic Protestant. Well, if you fast, it's uh, you give up something and God, God is so impressed with what you've done, or this is a sign of your devotion or something like that. Um, and instead to think about what if part of how God is shaping me to love more fully is to take some of my abundance. And this is one way of loving my neighbors better. And that doesn't mean that I stop loving my neighbors when Easter comes. Maybe I find other ways of loving my neighbor there, or maybe, you know, what something else arises, but that notion of, how do I shape who I am and how do I love people better? And the way to do that is through habit forming. And so oh, I got 40 mm-hmm. days to learn a habit of maybe I can eat a little bit less and take what I would have eaten myself or that resource, that money and give it so that other people can eat it all. That, that, that that's, that's like world changing to me. 
I will say as somebody who regularly fasts during Lent in, in different ways, shapes, and forms, I've never brought in that side of the that conversation, like you just said, Steve. And so as you know, as we're recording this, it's not quite Lent yet. So I'm still trying to figure out what I'm gonna do for Lent. Um, but that's something definitely I want to think about whether I'm fasting for Lent or for other reasons, like how do I then take those resources and help those in my community who have to fast for other reasons, mostly the fact that they can't afford food, can't get food. You know, they're not fasting for a spiritual purpose. They're fasting because they don't have another choice. Right, right, right. And then there becomes a whole other kind of learning that happens um, about like, yeah, what would it be like to have to live on a whole lot less? And oh, mm-hmm. my goodness, no wonder folks who have food insecurity are more likely to deal with other health issues. I mean, like your point earlier about the ancient nobility uh, being able to, you know, get a, get an uh, indulgence or an exemption out of Lent because they were trying to produce an heir. So, you know, like they were insulated from the, the ways that not having enough to eat affects your health. And that awareness, mm-hmm. like, yeah, how... How else can I learn in a meaningful way that there are people who don't have the luxury of choosing to go without for a while, but like who constantly are living with going to bed hungry or uh, being guilt ridden that they can't feed their kids enough or watching their kids be mal, you know, uh, malnourished or something like that because there isn't enough. And if my sense of fasting is I'm doing this for my own spiritual bank accounts improvement god will be impressed or i'm saving money now so i can spend it on something later that's just a religious way of being selfish um and i i can't imagine that god's intention with any of our spirituality is just to help us invent new ways of being selfish and put a religious veneer on it um so yeah i guess i i hope that this can be a, a chance for me this year to learn are there other ways that god could be teaching me shaping me to love better through any of these practices um, maybe we could talk about two um, in the, the other ways or practices uh, connected with fasting. Um, when somebody chooses um, not to, to rearrange the timing of their food or maybe not a wholesale, I'm going to not eat any meat or something. But what it, what, what what could be the value? What's the, what's the what are ways that you could explore um, uh selectively like removing one ingredient or not like you know with the classic i'll i'll i won't eat chocolate or i won't eat caffeine or something like that like what walk, walk me through some of the what are, what are the ways of seeing spiritual value or benefit in that what, what what can be going on there so when uh when i hear that people have given up chocolate like i'm gonna just have that be the example sure um it reminds me a lot of the the jews and the law of Mm -hmm. how the simple act of like oh i have to do this thing because i've been commanded to in the um in the scriptures um but by doing this thing even though it's going to make extra steps it's going to be more difficult or whatever it is um it's going to remind me that I am part of God's community Mm. and that I belong here in this place with God and that God has commanded me to do this. And like, it's that reminder of that relationship, that that covenant that they have. And so like, I hope I've never actually given up chocolate. (laughs) That's our example. Cause I don't eat chocolate on a daily basis. So like, that wouldn't do anything to me, but it's that moment I imagine of somebody like, 
mm, I've just finished my meal and now normally I would reach for a piece of chocolate, just a little square, just to have mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. sweetness to end off my meal. And it's that reaching for it, remembering, oh no, I've given this up. I've yeah. given this up because God, like God has asked me to fast and mm -hmm. I am fasting from chocolate. And it, this is the moment that I'm going to remember you know, take the time to remember that Jesus died on the cross for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just pause for a moment and remember that. You know, that your connection there to the story of ancient Israel and Judaism, it, it, that's such a really helpful insight for me because I don't know that I've made this connection, but like the, the way that um, uh, traditionally and, and certainly in ancient Israel practices like preparing the meal in advance for Sabbath is an inconvenience. But when you do it, it was that reminder of tomorrow's our day of rest. And that means that tomorrow we actually get to rest, but also we are reminded of our story of who we are and that we're okay with sort of standing out from the world. We do things differently. That's our identity. And they, it was a chance to remember in some small way, we were enslaved and set free. God created the world and then rested. That that's a chance to remind, re, be reminded again, restoried who you are in, yeah, what is an inconvenience in a sense of we're going to have to make tomorrow's meal ahead of time or the the practice of having unleavened bread around the Passover. That that wasn't because unleavened bread is so much more delicious. It is not more delicious. It is much less delicious, in my opinion. But that sense of, but there's a story with it. And every time we eat this bread, we know we're going to look a little bit weird. We're going to stand out. And compared to the rest of the watching world, they'll wonder, why do you do this? And our children will ask, why do you do this? And then we'll remember the story about this is who we are. This is uh, our our presence in the world is meant to be different and distinctive in a way kind of like when Jesus talks to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount about them being like salt and light things that are meant to be distinctive not to be holier than thou jerks about it but to, we, you got to learn that sense of mm -hmm. I've got to be okay with people periodically staring at me because I stand out because I do things differently and how do you learn that how do you build the courage in a community for small little acts whether it's resistance against an empire or just difference against the wider culture except through small actions of we're going to do it differently. And if somebody asks, I can tell them, here's why I'm doing this. I'm not judging you for you doing it or not doing it, but this is what I'm doing. It, it helps me to be self-differentiated without being judgy, I think, too. Um, it reminds me of this moment uh, Sarah and I lived through uh, a little bit ago uh, as we were recording last week. We found ourselves at a table in a restaurant after a funeral we were both at, and um, Without intending it this way, a, a another bishop from our church happened to be at the same table, and when the food comes uh, and all the, the table is set, the we all look to the bishop. Well, will you return grace? Will you pray for us? And I was expecting a spoken prayer because that was what we asked. Would you pray? And instead, he mutters, "Hey, do you all know such and such?" And I didn't realize he was asking, "Do we know a song?" None of us said we knew it, but he breaks into song in this restaurant, singing a cappella, a solo. This hymn very was loudly. basically a what's that? Yeah, very, very, very loudly. loudly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for a moment, I was like, "Oh my goodness, how how uncouth of him to do!" And then there was a moment for me where I was like, "No." Maybe part of what he's trying to do is to teach us as a bunch of pastors, like, you got to learn how to be okay with being the weirdos, the holy weirdos, the loving weirdos, but the people who are okay <laughs> with standing out and without trying to be jerks. Like, he didn't go up to other tables and go, I noticed you didn't pray over your food. Can I sing for you? Um, but it was just this, like, being different. And I had to sit the rest of that day with that. Why was I so uncomfortable for a while? And maybe do I need to learn how to be uncomfortable or mm -hmm. to be to learn to get comfortable with being uh, a weirdo in some ways? 
like a uh and like I'm still wrestling with that. So I had a similar reaction, but for very different reasons. I okay. felt uncomfortable because I didn't know the song. Right, and right, right. I felt this pressure to join because for me, sung prayer right. is a communal action. Right, right, and right. And so having just one person sing when I feel like the whole table should be singing, right. I was deeply uncomfortable of, oh no, I don't <laughs> know this song. I feel like I should be singing. Right. And I'm the weirdo for not knowing the song, right. Right. even though right. no one else knew it. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that like, I know that several of the pastors to my left were music fraternity, like in a music fraternity. So mm-hmm. clearly they should have known it. They learn all the sung prayers, don't they? <laughs> right. Right. They should, they should, but no, none of us knew it. Um, but yeah, I was also uncomfortable and felt like the odd person out, but for a completely different yeah. reason. And not, not to say that like my uncomfortableness is like somehow I'm a better person for you it. You got a better kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. No, but like it's, um, I think that's something that we all kind of wrestle with is yeah. wanting to be not standing out. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, I think we are as Christians called to occasionally stand out and to be uncomfortable yeah and both of those things are okay yeah and i guess i think like your original example about if i'm choosing not to eat chocolate for lent that's not meant to be a jerk move where i go rubbing into other people hey everybody i noticed you're you are eating chocolate i guess you don't love jesus (laughs) like jesus makes point if you're gonna fast don't go around telling other people but if somebody stops and asks hey i noticed you passed by that chocolate and usually you'd have some what's going on like that's a place for me to one become more comfortable with yeah well this is something i'm doing and this is for my own spiritual but to learn to be okay with being that again it's that sort of self-differentiation i i can say this is what i'm doing and i'm not here to tell you what you have to do or can't do but being okay with this is this is a part of what makes me distinctive or different or in the tradition and the community that i'm a part of and i think that's another good point about how lent is at its best a communal practice it doesn't mean everybody in my church congregation has to be doing the same thing as me but if we're all going through this season then there's yeah i realize you may be going through something different than i am but we're all in this season of trying to uh, you know, grow or deepen our, our faith or our discipleship in that way. And I guess I, that's that's another piece I had not really thought or tapped into before. So next time, we're going to be taking uh, another spin on what it might look like to fast, not from food, but uh, another angle on what it might look like to um, refrain from something uh, as we take a look uh, again next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.